I think it's being in the right room. And if you're in a space where people are being condescending or arrogant or making you feel that you're less than because you don't have the same business experience, don't be in rooms where people are being jerks because there are plenty of very successful business owners who are good humans who want to see the next generation of entrepreneurs succeed. And then the next thing is just, yeah, step up in knowing that we are all just humans. Everyone is doing the best they can. And that if someone is being arrogant and, and kind of putting you into a position where you're starting to feel less than yourself, honestly, there are so many really cool successful people that are just not like that at all like find a better room welcome to the young and driven podcast where we explore the world of entrepreneurship join us as we dive into the nitty-gritty of what it takes to start grow and scale a successful business we're on a mission to share our experiences failures insights and advice with others whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey or you're looking to take your business to the next level Tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. Welcome to the Young and Driven Podcast. I'm your host, Grant, and I am sitting here with Alexis Green. She is the founder and community owner of Dovetail Communities. She works with all entrepreneurs of all levels, but she specifically works in this community with female entrepreneurs, and we're going to be talking about community building, and I'm really, really excited. So, so Alexis, thank you so much for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talking about community building of all sorts. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and if you're listening to this, and you just, um, I, I, I say this every time, but if I, I don't really need this to be listened to by a ton of people, my goal is that one person gets value. And so if you're listening to this and you receive value from this, and this inspires you in some way, either by hearing Alexis' story or her insights, then send it to one person that you think would also benefit. That's the goal. If that other person can just listen to it and, and get value, then this whole process and our time spending doing this will be well worth it. So thank you so much. Please do that. Like and subscribe and share and all the good things that, that are important to, to help this thing grow. Um, Alexis, I want to ask you the first question, which is rudimentary, but I think it's important to say the, kind of set the foundations for this. Um, can you tell me the, the values of community and why, in particular, why isolation can be so damaging specifically for female entrepreneurs? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think it was a few weeks ago, but the World Health Organization actually called loneliness an epidemic. So there is currently an epidemic mm. of loneliness happening, and it is impacting people in myriad of ways, but some of the really detrimental effects are the increased suicide rate, the increase of mental illness. They're just, you know, the dysfunction in society that is occurring that is at its root caused by loneliness. So it's not just, you know, entrepreneurs that are feeling it, it's being felt across the board. Um, and so personally, I have dedicated much of my life and, and my career in the last five years to building community for women entrepreneurs. Um, because really the, the population growth of women entrepreneurs specifically has exponentially increased over the past five years, and yet we're not seeing the same growth of opportunities for women to come together in peer-to-peer -peer, uh, communities of support. So that is why I started Dovetail and, and why I think it's important for people to just have others who deeply understand them, can relate to their values, and have been in their shoes because um, we all need that wherever we are in life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. What what was the catalyst for you to say, okay, this is the cause that I want to dedicate time towards? Um, yeah. yeah, what was what was like that that moment that was it was it 
kind of experiential that you felt isolated yourself or was there something you witnessed that you were like, yep, this is an important thing that I need to fix? Yes. Uh, I met my own need as with many entrepreneurs, I saw a problem that I was having that I knew that I could do something about. And so I've been an entrepreneur officially for 10 years, but I've been prior to that, I was a consultant. So type of entrepreneuring, um, entrepreneurship and 10 years ago, I started a business, scaled the business, grew, you know, we became successful by all the external metrics, but I had friends. I just didn't have entrepreneur friends and I didn't have a community of women who can understand or relate to my experience and what I was doing. And so I would go to all these networking events and oh my gosh, I hate networking. Um, (laughs) Networking is not community building. Um, but I would go to all these things trying to build these real connections. But you know, if you've ever been to a networking event, it's like, here's my card and people like pitching at you. And it's just sort of this like (laughs) weird vibe. And you know, I was single at the time. So it was like things with dudes and whatever. I was just not my scene. And I was like, how do I change this? And so I planned what I thought would be a small retreat. I was like, I'm going to find a dozen awesome women entrepreneurs who have businesses as big as mine or bigger. And and I'm going to get them to come to like a cabin up north of Toronto and, and it'll be great. And we ended up with 50 women who wanted to come to the first one. And I thought we'd have maybe a dozen if I wow. was lucky. And that was the beginning of Dovetail five years ago. So clearly I was not the only one who wanted that sort of connection and community with peers and, and with women who just wanted to have those real conversations and real connections. Yeah. Well, so tell me, what's the difference in your mind between networking and being in community? What's the difference between those two things? Yes. <laughs> Networking is, uh, in my experience, and maybe this isn't for everyone, maybe you can network differently, um, but for me, most networking events and networking experiences are low connection. There's a lot of superficiality. There's a short time span in which you network. So you go to a networking event or you participate in networking and you know you exchange business cards and have a superficial discussion perhaps about your business. And you know it can feel a little bit uh, transactional and pitchy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of up here on the surface, whereas building yeah. deep community is a longer term lasting experience where you are in connection with people for a longer period of time, where people are showing up with a level of communal support to one another for one another. So there's yeah, definitely a difference there between the two. And I'm sure anyone who's yeah. been part of real community, whatever kind of community it is, and also has attended networking events can feel that difference too. Do you feel like, in your experience, there's communities that you've joined and you just feel like everyone tends to upsell um, or everyone <laughs> tends to cross-sell where people almost join for the purpose of finding clients. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think like if you are a business owner and you are either considering joining a community or creating a community in or around your business, The most important thing is how you set that up, what you're doing from the very beginning. What are the foundations of that? So I was actually just on another podcast talking about this. And, you know, one of the core components is having community guidelines. So what does it mean to be a good community member? And what does it mean to be a good community leader or a steward of good community? And, And that really has to start with the community leader saying, this is what we do and do not accept. These are our values as a community. And this is what we will and will not accept within this community. So for some, like Dovetail, in our community, of, especially our community of established women entrepreneurs that I gather for retreats and experiences and masterminding, we are a no-pitch community. It 
doesn't mean that you can't work together. It means that we have a strict no pitch policy. And actually, if you come on one of our retreats and proceed to pitch or push your business at people in an aggressive pitching way, I will ask you to leave. <laughs> and I've actually had to remove people from the community because they were pitching, they were pitching aggressively. They were trying to get people to invest in their business, but in a manner that was not based in our community values and our community values, deep relationship and real relationship above all else. So people do business together within Dovetail community, but they do it from a place of building authentic relationships, learning about one another and supporting each other. And if there's an opportunity to do business, they can do it together from that origin, but not from a place of, I'm going to get up in front of everybody and sling my wares at them and, and create this sort of dynamic. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I've been there. <laughs> I, actually, I've, I haven't, there's a separate thought that I have where I, cause something I've noticed particularly with like female driven communities and brands that are saying like, I service this, we do this. There tends to be in the hiring process, and in the in terms of like which consultants we work with, which people we work with, what what other departments we work with, it's almost like there's a there's a particular purpose to hire female individuals. Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, I I host a community of women that have a mandate of hiring and supporting those who identify as women and non-binary first. And I know that that is controversial yeah. for some people. But when you look at the realities of, you know, the modern marketplace in North America, right now, if you are a woman looking for investors, as an example, only, I think it's less than 3% of all venture capital money goes to women-owned businesses. So in a situation like that with a female investor, I actually encourage, we have women in our community who only invest in female-founded businesses. And we're not even close to leveling the playing field. So when it comes to hiring women, I hire a team of women or those who identify as, as women and non-binary folks. I hire them because we're not even close, again, to level, leveling the playing field of how easy or difficult it is for a woman to uh, be hired in just about every field. <laughs> so yeah, I actually think it's okay. Until we have a level playing field, until women are at parity for pay, I think that it is okay to hire women first. Why do you think, why do you think in your opinion, like that there are more female entrepreneurs, oh, sorry, male entrepreneurs. Why do you think there are more male entrepreneurs than female entrepreneurs? Because that definitely in, impacts this conversation like do you think that more women should think entrepreneurially do you encourage that yes when they can i know that you know to a certain extent like entrepreneurship is is a gift for those who are privileged to those who have access and the opportunities um to be able to step out on your own and take the risk of going into business for yourself in many cases requires a, a level of access and privilege that not everyone in the world has um and the reason that women are not entrepreneurs uh, or that there are not as many female entrepreneurs as there are male entrepreneurs, um, I mean, it's just societal. Like, it's it, where are the opportunities for women? And in many cases, there's still like a very, you know, traditional patriarchal family structure happening. So um, mm. women are expected to still maintain more of the household work. Um, in addition to having a job. And so the prospect of then maintaining that level of work in the home and going out and starting a business is, 
is a little bit more daunting. Yeah. I think that's like one of the many issues, <laughs> but uh, I am, yeah. Yeah, actually off of that, like I, I love that thought. It's What's interesting is I've also noticed that, um, and this is also in, in working with clients as well, uh, often the, the, the businesses that women start, they tend to be small businesses. They tend to less be less like enterprise driven. Uh, and I'm curious if you think that's just because of impact in the workplace or like if that is just because there's that cultural push, not in every culture, there's percentages, right? And there's more and less in some areas, but um, similar to what you're saying, there's almost that homemaking thought. And so that encourages more of a side hustle business entrepreneurial approach versus the uh, build your own enterprise and knock down all these doors to, to get access to the things you need access to in order to grow and build. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's you know, very much a multifaceted thing. I don't think there's one answer to this, but I would agree it can be some of the, you know, the patriarchy that we live under, I would say, or in. Um, and I'm not, I mean, I'm sounding like I, I despise all men. This is definitely not how I feel. But I would say, like... No, that's not, know, how, you come across. Just quoted, not how you come across good. at all. The stats that I just quoted are, you know, a great example of why it is harder for women to even consider scaling to the same level as most men even consider. When you look at what it takes to, you know, get leverage, to scale, to, to find investors, when only 3% of that money is going to women, then, you know, a lot of a lot of women are like, do I want to try to go down that avenue and, and push as hard as I'm going to have to push to get yeah. investors and to get the kind of backing that it's going to require to compete in the marketplace? Or am I happy with the business that I have now that affords me a certain lifestyle that, you know, is not necessarily a side hustle, but is a happy, small to medium sized business that, you know, can support myself, my family. I see why, why women aren't driving for it in the same way. doesn't mean we shouldn't, just means that it has been yeah. made so much more difficult yeah. that... People don't don't want to even approach it. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's a matter of access. It's also a matter of there's still, you know, the number of women that I work with, like I, we have a lot of women in the Dovetail community who are very successful and uh, certainly our Dovetail Summit ladies, they all have seven to nine figure plus businesses and they still talk about the expectation for uh, work in the home. So, you know, for example, I was on a retreat um, mm -hmm. and we had a, this retreat was a small retreat that I hosted, 10 women, all of them had eight figure plus businesses and half the women in the room did not have support at home as in like household staff mm -hmm. or assistants or a house manager or even, you know, full-time housekeeping. Yeah. And so the expectation in their family was that they still are carrying the load of work at home running these very successful yeah. businesses, you know, maintaining all of that. And so the thought of, again, adding more to that plate and growing exponentially to have a billion dollar exit or whatever is just not something that's appealing to a lot of women because of that. So I don't think it's that the drive isn't there. I think yeah. it's that the access and the uh, opportunities are not necessarily the same for uh, women as they are for men. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, to put a button on that, I think like I, I've, yeah, I put a, I put out content uh, for clients where we talk about how, in my opinion, moms and just people that make the house are the best position to be entrepreneurs because a lot of the skill sets, a lot of the things that are involved, a lot of the management that's involved directly translate to business. And I think like, uh, 
I, I wish that more people would think that way. For a, a listener, because I have listeners that would probably fit that category where they're, they're working in corporate, um, so less so that they're doing the small business, but that they're already working in corporate and they've looked at entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurialism and they thought, okay, I would love to get started in something like this. Um, I don't know where to get started. I don't know, I don't know the first thing about like stepping into that community because likely I would want to go to some kind of networking event versus finding these smaller circles of people that are like me. And whether that's lawyers, um, whether that's doctors, um, I have listeners that are going to be kind of all, all across that range as well as the small business owner. Um, how does someone in that field find people um, to get to the point where they're saying, yep, I am able to identify with these women and I'm able to feel supported and I'm able to feel challenged to do the things that I want to do and I actually want to accomplish. Yeah. When I started, I mean, I can speak to my own experience and definitely to those of all the women that I work with. But, um, when I started my other business and I, I moved back to Canada, I'd been living abroad, working consulting and didn't have a, a real community of entrepreneurs, um, here at all. And I would go to these networking events. I would, I would attend events that maybe I knew weren't exactly perfect for me and I didn't love them, but I would meet one or two women at, at those. That's where I came up with like the first, you know, dozen women that I was going to invite to our first event for Dovetail. Um, and it's not necessarily yeah. the event that matters. It's what you do with that event. And so you can always form your own small community. Like I encourage when I meet women who are saying, you know, I'm not quite ready for dovetail. I'm just getting a business off the ground. I'm just getting together some ideas, go to these events and then find one or two of those women and say, Hey, let's do a dinner once a month. Let's, you know, let's, or I can host maybe cocktail hour at my house once a month, just to start to build that community around you. It doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. But just having one or two or three or four or five other women that are in a WhatsApp group and that actually get together and support each other locally can be, you know, can make a world of difference. And so it doesn't have to be the perfect event, the perfect community. Um, it can be something that you form yourself, even if it's just one other woman. You know, it's gather one or two and, yeah. and do those monthly dinners and start to build yourself the support and the accountability that it takes to be able to make those steps in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Tell me what is the benefit? There's going to be people, some people that say, uh, I hate the idea of paying for access to some kind of uh, mastermind. Uh, oh, yeah. And they're saying, why can't I just <laughs> find it for free? Why can't I do this? Like, there's so many reservations when it comes to that, especially in anything in the e-learning space. But when it comes to that transitionary step from I know nothing and I'm starting a business to I'm trying to scale my business. I find that some people that are saying, I want to scale my business much more friendly towards it because they see the benefits of the ROI. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what would you say to people that are like hesitant to pay for it and almost look down on people that do? Yeah, that's totally okay. I think until you've tried it, you really can't knock it. Um, I would say, you know, we've all heard the old quote of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I think getting yourself into the room with people who yeah. are thinking differently from you, who have different experience from you, who are there because they're looking for real community. It's a completely different experience than what I just suggested people do at the very beginning of their career, which is find one or two or three other, you know, business owner friends to support each other. I think along my entrepreneurial journey over the last 10 years, I have paid, you know, I've, I've gone to 
retreats where I have been a participant so that I can be in the room with people who just think bigger than I do or think differently than I do and who are there to be in community, which means they are there to support each other. I am there to support them with my knowledge and experience. They're there to support me. And that is a very different thing from, you know, throwing together your own little kind of group and, and doing it casually. The other thing that I've noticed is, is, you know, every coach will say this, and I'm not a coach, but every other community member that leads something like what I do would probably agree that when people put a little bit of money down behind something, they show up in a different way. They're more accountable to it. They show hmm. up completely. They're not, you know, on yeah. their phone. They're not skipping gatherings. They're not skipping things or, you know, not kind of looking at 10 screens on their computer while you're supposed to be having some sort of a, you know, any kind of masterminding. They really show up fully and committed in a way that you don't when there's no money behind it. So, yeah, there are a lot of people that knock, you know, they say paying for friends. But in my case, I feel like you're, yes, you are paying for the experience that is being provided uh, to connect with those people. And you're paying for yourself. The, the accountability that comes from making an investment for yourself is just a completely different experience. So it has been life-changing for me and mm -hmm. I know for the women in my community as well. Yeah, I, I would, I'm curious about your thoughts on the entry level I, I believe that it's better to be in a room where you're the weakest person um, oh, because yeah. <laughs> you position yourself as the person that can first uh, give freely the most because you're so eager to learn, but also that you position yourself as the someone that can receive the most from other people. Um, how does someone go and find that room? Because there's tons of rooms, there's tons of places, there's tons of forums, there's tons of avenues where someone can find peers, people at similar levels people that are doing maybe even similar revenue levels or similar industries, someone that would be competition where you decide that you want to, you want to kind of group think. Um, how can someone navigate and get themselves into a room where they are the weakest link? <laughs> um, that is not always easy, but you're right. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? And I think that's like a comfort zone mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Our coach, Dan, talks about this a lot, and I've experienced it too, where like, oh, it feels good to be the one with the most experience, that people are asking you the questions, and you, you know, are kind of mentoring people now. But to get yourself in a room where you're, you know, there's maybe people who've had billion-dollar IPOs sitting next to you, and you're, you know, like, how does my brain even wrap itself yeah. around this? That is kind of the next level. And to be totally honest, it can go back to what are you willing to invest um, but it can also go back to niche expertise. You know, I host a community and I, I do um, retreats for established entrepreneurs. So some of the work that we do, a lot of the work that I do is actually for those women who have seven, eight, nine figure businesses. And I will bring women who maybe aren't at that scale of business size, but who have niche expertise, I'll bring them into that circle because they have something amazing to contribute. So if you're in a space in your business where you're like, well, I want to be at those tables, I want to be in that room, what is it that you can hone in on in your experience or that you can grow your skills and knowledge base around to be an asset to those people? Because they don't want to just, you know, for my ladies, especially like our established entrepreneurs, they do a lot of giving, but they don't want to pay to be part of a mastermind or at a retreat where they just spend the whole time 
you know, having their brain picked or mentoring the whole time. For them, they do that work, but that's not why they come to this kind of table or why they come to this experience. So they want to receive and they want to give. So if you can find a way to learn some specific skills or niche expertise or have something that you're bringing to the table, that's a way to be invited into those rooms. And it's not just a matter of paying your way in, but it's saying, I'm here because X, Y, Z. So if you're currently, you know, working as a lawyer, you're bringing, I'm, my gosh, like the skills and the experience you can bring to the table in some of these entrepreneur groups, even if you've just gone out on your own to start your own law firm or your own business, even if that law firm or that business is small, you're coming with this incredible experience. Or another example is we have a doctor in the community and you know she joined the community and was sitting at the table with some really big entrepreneurs when her the, the second business she had started was a Medispa business. It was still tiny, the medical spa. Uh, it probably wouldn't have qualified her to necessarily be at that table in that room, but she was coming with all of her medical background and experience and she was there as our doctor. That got her in the room, that got her at the table, mm -hmm. that got her in the conversations and enabled to scale her secondary business, the medical spa, faster and further than she would have if she hadn't been at that table. So I think there's always a way that you can kind of finesse or you know, curate your experience when you're speaking to the community leader and trying to get your seat at that table. Um, and be willing to invest in it because sometimes it does take a little bit more of an investment of time and money to do it. I love that. What is the biggest difference between a badass who does the billion dollar IPO and the person that just enters that room for the first time that says, I don't know how to, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to scale my business to this appropriate level. My gut instinct response on that was just a level of confidence, but that confidence comes from having done it. <laughs> and so it's just that maybe mm. behind the confidence and the reason that, you know, I'm thinking of two people in particular right now, it always helps to think of those people, you know, the exact person, you know, the billion dollar IPO, whatever, and somebody who's new by continuing yeah. to like, just move forward and do the things like the woman I'm thinking of who had the IPO, she didn't know how to do an IPO. She had to take her whole thing on a road show. She was literally like learning how to IPO this massive business as they went ahead and did it. But she was willing to take those steps forward and figure it out. And the confidence grew as they figured it out. And then when they had the IPO, the confidence grew. And so she was able to attain a level of confidence and security and stability because she did the things. I think that's the biggest thing. So as long as you're willing to mm. keep putting one step forward in front of the other, one foot forward in front of the other, and keep moving forward, your confidence will grow. What's, what's the biggest difference between confidence and arrogance? Hmm. <laughs> uh, again, just gut instinct response on this. I would say confidence is inclusive. Confidence is not superior. It is, you know, I have, I'm able to do this thing and I believe that you can too. And, you know, I'm not better than you because I'm able to do this thing, but I'm able to do this because I've put in the work. Um, arrogance is I am better than you because I can do this thing. And I don't think anybody else is quite as capable of ever doing this thing. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. So like you're talking about essentially like pride. I find that yeah. a lot of people get the two really confused mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to entrepreneurs, because it's, it almost becomes this, like it becomes this alpha beta game where there's a competition subconsciously and overtly when you're in the room with these people about who brings the more, most authority, who has the most value. And a lot of times there's an awareness of who brings the most monetary value with their business and their insights. How, 
how can someone who is new to this navigate that and feel like they don't have to be meek and that they can be quietly confident in what they have to offer while not having the same um, accolades as the people that they're trying to talk to and the people they're trying to network with? I think it's being in the right rooms. I think, you know, I work with some really incredible, successful business owners, but they are women who share my values that everyone has something to give. Everyone has something to share. And if you're in a space where people are being condescending or arrogant or making you feel that you're less than because you don't have the same business experience and you haven't you know, built the same size business, you're probably in the wrong room, you know? (laughs) I'd say that's the best way to handle it is don't be in rooms where people are being jerks because there are plenty of very successful business owners who are good humans who want to see the next generation of entrepreneurs succeed, who believe that you are just as capable as they are to achieve whatever your dream is, whether it's to scale to where they've scaled or, or grow a business that's similar or different, but at the same size or whatever it may be. So check the room you're in before you start worrying about like, I feel meek in this room. I mean, is there a reason you feel meek in this room? Cause people are being jerks. Um, and then the next thing is just, yeah, step up and knowing mm-hmm. that I think reminding yourself that we are all just humans. Everyone is doing the best they can. And that if someone is being arrogant and and kind of putting you into a position where you're starting to feel less than yourself, obviously they're dealing with their own demons and they, they feel the need to show up and posture in a way that's just not necessary. And honestly, there are so many really cool, successful people that are just not like that at all. Like find a better room. Mm, I love that. That's such a great point. What, What's a factor? So you've seen, you've encountered a lot of different entrepreneurs. You've encountered a lot of different women in particular um, that are at all levels, probably all different personality types that are at all different stages. What's, what's uh, some value or X factor that you've found that's consistent in the best ones, the ones that really do end up crushing it? Well, there are definitely a few. Um, I think they're like relentlessly optimistic <laughs> That, you know, like everything is figure outable is a really common phrase right now, but it's, it's only figure outable if you actually believe that you can do it. And like, in order to believe that you have to be optimistic and get back up and, you know, they don't, they don't allow the setbacks and the hurts and the pains and the, you know, the women who have the longest careers in entrepreneurship that have had, you know, the most success with one or numerous businesses are the ones that just keep getting back up. And they learn, like they just don't stop learning. Like these ladies, you know, I gather them together and we do roundtables and peer-to-peer work at our retreats. And like, they are so receptive and so open to learning. They're like sponges, like, tell me more. What can I read? What did you read? How did you learn this? Who did you hear about this? Like there is none of them. There, There's not a woman among them that sits at the table and says, well, I'm at the top of this field. There's nothing, nothing more that I could possibly get. And these are women that, you know, very well from the outside maybe could be saying that. And so, yeah, I think just that commitment to evolution and growth and learning and optimism Mm. that things can be made better um, in any industry and in the world at large, because I think right now there are a lot of people that, you know, spend too much time watching the news and, Um, getting very immersed in the hardships of the world rather than looking at some of the solutions and opportunities and ways to make things better. And the women that I spend time with all believe that things can be made better and that they're part of the solution, which is cool. I love that. That's so incredible. That's so great. That's such a great thought. I, 
I think uh, the other thing I want to ask you is, is I've noticed uh, with the few female entrepreneurs that I work closely with, um, there's a consistent theme where they struggle with balance. They struggle with prioritization of their own health um, because almost to overcompensate uh, for that difficulty of having to break through more barriers, I guess, they feel like there's a need for them to work harder. Um, and so the effort that they put in is just so much more aggressive um, than someone else, but it almost comes to the detriment of themselves. What would you say to those people and what are your thoughts on what balance should look like, particularly for a female entrepreneur that is trying to figure out how to get all these plates to keep spinning? Mm. I've heard that. I've heard that from women before, that they believe that we have to work harder. I think we're evolving into a place where we've learned that we can work differently. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to work harder. Mm. There's just a way that we can use our gifts and skill sets differently to operate differently in the world and sorry and to, to, to be clear like i i am interacting with very few like this is the just the subset of people that i've interacted with but this has been a consistent a consistent theme i'm not saying that's across the board but yeah i have found that to be something where it's like yeah you are you're for you a 14 hour day is regular um yeah. and that is not that doesn't come across as like something that's not the norm that's just like this is to you what you have to do in order to accomplish the things you want to accomplish there are definitely, I mean, there are a lot of men and women and non-binary folks and all sorts of humans that, that are putting in those kind of hours. But I've heard that sentiment from women before that we need to work twice as hard in order to achieve what you know, men are achieving and that, that feeling. But I also know a lot, a lot of women who have chosen not to believe in that and not to perform in that way. Um, and so I would say for myself, I... I guess it depends on your goals and, and what industry in and you're in and how you want to live and how you want to work. Um, but I have found, you know, you mentioned prioritizing health. Like I, I have ADHD and I am not on meds. My medication is exercise. And so I know that I perform a million times better on days when I start my day with a run, a hike, going to the gym, um, any kind of physical activity. I'm gonna be so much more productive. My output's gonna be so much higher. Um, and the same goes for if I take an actual lunch break and I don't just work 14 hours through, you know, I am mm. gonna have just the, a million times more productive afternoon if I actually pause for lunch and go outside on my lunch break. And so I think it's just a matter of like, how do you wanna work and how do you wanna live and what are you willing you know, which I've heard this from numerous people and maybe also from our coach, Dan, but which hard do you want to choose? Do you want to choose the hard reality of if you don't take care of your mind and your body by the time you're 50, you're going to have a hump on your back and, you know, not be able to function physically or by the time you're 70, you're going to need a walker? Or do you want to choose the hard of like getting up and going and working out and making that a part of the way you live and your balance in life? So... Yeah, I think, well, everyone says balance doesn't exist anymore. So maybe it's like the way you integrate things in your life. But it's, it's a real choice. And anyone that tells you that it's not a choice maybe needs to take a, take a step back from the way they're living and really look at the way they are choosing to live. Because <laughs> I don't think it's always necessary for success. What, is, what does balance look like to you? What are the, like you, you're tell, you, said, you mentioned a couple of things, working out in the morning and mm -hmm. having a lunch break. But for you... <laughs> and all the things that you're juggling, what does balance mean? Um, 
so during COVID, I met my now husband and I started taking weekends off. I was one of those chronic overworkers, you know, working seven days a week, working <laughs> into the evening. Um, but COVID was a gift, a horrible thing for many, not to downgrade that, but also the gift of giving me a little bit more life integration. And um, yeah, got in the practice of taking weekends off, be, have family dinners, like try to eat together every night and... And also making time for, like for me, you know, there's therapy in in activity and in nature. So I get outside every single day. I either hike or go for a trail run or even just walk the dog. Like we're lucky enough to have beautiful nature trails not too far from here. Um, and then really consciously making time for relationships and friends. I, I hate texting, but I do text a lot. We live up in the woods and so we don't get to see my friends face-to-face <laughs> every single day. But I make a point of texting at least five friends a day, even if it's just a, hey, love you, I was thinking about you. It doesn't always have to result in a back and forth conversation. I will just send them a quick voice note and be like, hey, I sent you that note. It was so good to hear from you. I can't chat today, but let's set up a phone call for you know the weekend or whatever it might be. But just consciously maintaining those relationships because I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs that as they get going, they lose the friendships that they have. They're not, you know, maintaining those friendships. And then they kind of get to a place where they're like, not only do I not have, you know, a community of entrepreneurs, but I don't have a community at all. And I don't have friends anymore because I put my head down and scaled this business mm. for five years. So that's a huge part of it for me is, mm. is making time for friendships. And the same thing with family. I, you know, take time for those important and, and not so important. You know, my mom always sends me these like, little photos and memes that are all lovey-dovey and I literally just like copy paste my aunts won't be listening to this but send it to my aunts <laughs> because then they're like oh that was so sweet of you and I'm like this literally came direct from my mom <laughs> but no one has to know <laughs> that's awesome so yeah that's great that's so funny I love that well see, so yes, actually that's a good I struggle with that I struggle with and maybe it's because I'm in that hustle phase maybe it's because I'm in that growing the business phase I struggle with um, having energy for people that are not like-minded in the sense that like I have an entrepreneurial drive. And so for, to interact with people that probably don't have a similar, that even they don't have to be entrepreneurs, but don't have a similar goal setting standard is difficult. Um, just because it's hard to relate emotionally to that same thing. What would you say to women and men in that, in that regard of the importance of community and almost correct me, what, what should, how should I be approaching this? so that I can make sure I'm cultivating and adding value to relationships that are not coming through networking, but are coming mm -hmm. just through establishing the connection and making sure that we're reinvesting in the people that, that built us and the roots that we have. Yeah. I, um, after we got married this summer, you know, my husband and I took a, a long trip out to the West Coast. We actually had another wedding to go to, and we had some work to do in the middle of the state. So we, we did a big trip. And one of the things we did on our trip and this is like a little bit of a secret, I guess, but now it's out there. <laughs> Hopefully my friends and family don't listen to this. We did a friend inventory. We did a, you know, we wrote down all the people that, that are in our lives right now, like the major relationships and, you know, like my community that I host and that I steward and lead, they've become friends, but they're also not like those core friendships. You know, the people that we talk to every week or every day or the people that we're like, oh, we should be talking to them or we should be this or that. So we wrote down all these names and then we wrote, like, on this list of people, who are the people that light us up the most when we talk to them or when we spend time with them that we really want to, like, out of, you know, we have a lot of friends. We're very lucky. But, like, who lights us up the most? Who do we feel 
not just lights us up because, you know, you don't have to put on a comedy show every time we hang out. That's not necessary. But who do we feel most aligned with? Who do we see in our future? And so like a lot of us carry a lot of friendships. I'm so lucky. I have wonderful girlfriends. I know they won't listen to this because they're not entrepreneurs, but I have wonderful girlfriends from my past and I love them. But we actually in this inventory, we're like, okay, like how much time do we want to make for these couples that are like our old friends that we love, but maybe aren't necessarily in alignment with where we're going business wise in the future or even in our life in the future. Like, what does this look like? And so we kind of set like a boundary for ourselves of, you know, we're going to make time for these friendships because we love and care about them, but they're not necessarily the people that we're going to drop everything for. And because of where we live too, you know, if you want to go visit, it's like seven hours of driving for some people. So (laughs) kind of setting that inventory (laughs) of like writing it down and making some decisions. And it can be tough because you don't want people to feel badly. And like I said, they're probably not going to hear this, so it's okay. But I would hate for anyone to feel like they're not at the top of the list, you know, (laughs) but it's just more about who is nourishing you. Who do you nourish? Who do you really want to be spending time with? And sometimes like there can be family members on that list that you're like, we're going to make an effort to talk once a month, but they're not going to be my every day, every week, whatever, regular visit, regular hangout, regular phone call or text or whatever, just because they're not, they don't feel totally aligned and I'm not nourishing them and they're not nourishing me and making that okay. Cause I think there's so much guilt around that too. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah. Tell me <laughs> your, th- it, it does answer the question. I appreciate it. Um, what's the difference between an audience and a community? Oh, um there's oh man so many people right now on social media specifically rant and rave about my community this and i'm so grateful for my community and i'm like oh my gosh this is your audience (laughs) so an audience is like a omnidirectional it is a one-way thing these people watch somebody else performs and so if you are an online presence or an influencer or you know an entrepreneur that has a following of people watching you, those people are not a community. That's an audience. So the biggest difference is a community are actually interconnected with one another. So they're supporting each other. They are interacting in, in some way or another. So an example of, uh, you know, an easy example to use right now is like Taylor Swift. You know, she has like 50 million people following her on social media, you know, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, Facebook. But then there are communities of Taylor Swift fans of like the T-Swift fans of Detroit. And those people all get together, support each other, interact with each other, share tickets, make swag, have hangouts, do, you know, sing along nights at their local karaoke bar for Taylor Swift. That's a community. Those people are all showing up for one another. But Taylor being like my community when she doesn't have a dang clue about any of those people would not actually be accurate. <laughs> There's like a very parasocial relationship happening mm. there <laughs> completely. That's the biggest difference. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I want to I agree. I think I'm with you. I think I understand what you're trying to say, like in terms of like there's, there's uh, in, in terms of the, the, the dynamics at play of who's giving and who's receiving. I'm totally mm-hmm. with you. Um, there's, there's a, when you have an audience, the transaction is I am giving you value and you're giving me attention and I mm-hmm. am maximizing that attention. Um, okay. and I'm almost in most cases monetizing it. Um, yeah. but I have found that online audiences tend to, there's, there's sex that are created. There's groups that are created. There's, uh, factions that are created within audiences 
where people agree, people disagree, people uh, unite on the fact that we're fans of this. And I'm thinking of people like, in, in the, uh, like let's stick with the music space. That is, it is a uniting thing to have everyone in comments or just in general say, we like listening to this. We all like this song. We all appreciated this. I, I think the most influential people are the ones that are able to unite both audience and community. And I think that can happen in a micro sense where you can have a tight-knit audience and the lines are blurred between whether or not it's a community. I understand the difference between a community like that versus a mastermind or a group of people that are dedicated to each other and um, there's exclusivity, there's common values, there's common, like there's, there's a, additional levels of barriers to the barrier of entry. Um, but something I'm passionate about is helping, helping business owners in particular not just approach social media as if they're speaking out to the void, um, but to communicate in a way that they are speaking to an individual. Mm -hmm. And similar to what you, you responded with when I asked, like, the difference between the badass and the newbie. Um, you said, I think of someone. Mm -hmm. And that's almost always my instruction when, when talking about content. This piece of content that we're about to make is targeting this person and maybe a follower or maybe just a, a type of person that we're, we're trying to communicate with. But I, what, do you, what, what are your responses to that? Because I think, I think there's value to it and I think, I think you can... I think you I think you can have a tight knit audience where the purpose of it isn't transactional and yes there may be a true disconnect between you as the creator and them as the viewer um or the consumer I guess um but ultimately I think the connections that can be made there are substantial and I've seen it done I think Gary V comes to mind as someone who's done a really great job of having a large audience but there's an element, whether it's through V friends or whether it's through something else that kind of comes across as a community. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a big difference between, it's called the parasocial relationship when people feel like they have a relationship with someone who doesn't even know they really exist on a personal level. Um, so they're watching mm -hmm. Gary V, but Gary yeah. V has never met them, will never meet them, and probably won't ever talk to them aside from them watching him as an audience member. But then Gary V does like VCon and people actually get together actually connect with each other and then show up and support each other in community. That's the difference. So it's not like Gary Vee, everyone's mm. watching his social. That would not be a community in my opinion, unless within that there are like people that are actually knowing each other, building connection with each other, supporting each other, having that communal experience together, not just the one directional or, you know, or occasionally like responding back to Gary Vee. So I think there are opportunities for community building within an audience, but I wouldn't say that like any situation where the, the community or the, the uh, influencer or the expert or whatever, unless they actually know those people that they're talking to or have any sort of communal interactive relationship i still think that's an audience i don't think that that counts as a community in my books yeah. in my opinion yeah um but it yeah. could be a personal opinion thing and you know like there are that. a lot of like influencers that just refuse to stop calling their followers community members because they think they like they like the way it sounds it makes them feel better <laughs> it's like weird yeah. for them to like be like that. my no, audience I that. <laughs> yeah yeah i like that also yeah that's that's a good place to, to end who is your who is your ideal audience then because you have your community 
And I like how you position it on your website where you say, um, apply for the chance to be reached out to. Uh, oh, I love no. that because I don't even think we extra, say it exactly like that. <laughs> there's the, <laughs> It, let me, I'll quote it. I'll quote it exactly. I, I was yeah. just looking at it and I was like, I it's not a for the I'm not saying it check. negatively. I, uh, what was it? Uh, I want to, cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say it as not what it actually is. Request no, an invitation. Okay. That's what it was. Request an invitation. Request an invitation. So um, one of the things with a community like ours is that it isn't for everyone because we can't actually serve everyone. So with our dovetail summit, which is what you're seeing on our website, um, we ask people to apply because we look for a certain type of entrepreneur in a certain space in their business. If you, for example, are just starting a business or you're working in corporate and you have an idea for a business, if I put you in the room with women who've already scaled you know, successful businesses and they're all there to support each other peer to peer because they can relate to some of the challenges, you know, they've got staff teams, they've got different, different challenges and different things they're supporting. If you come into that space, you're not gonna feel like you belong there you, you know, immediately like the conversation will be conversation that doesn't totally apply to you and your business and your life right now. It's just not going to make sense. And so that's actually one of the hardest things about being a community leader and a, a community steward is holding space for the inclusive exclusivity of some communities of being able to serve people who are a certain niche or a certain demographic of people who can really benefit from what you're doing. And not making people feel poorly because that community doesn't exactly make sense for them right now. Like there are you know, so many examples of this, communities of mothers. I am not a mother yet. I do not really belong in a community of moms. If I was to try to join one and I went to their retreat, I would probably feel a little depressed. <laughs> like I don't belong here. Yeah. And so I think that's, yeah, that's the challenging piece of um, growing and scaling and fostering community is, is being able to protect that and to serve that and to be okay with not being everything for everyone. Because uh, it's, it's yeah. how we can do really good work and support the people that we do serve. What does growth mean for you and your business? So you're at a point where you've cultivated this community and you do uh, consulting on the side for you could do coaching for just general entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm hoping, I'm guessing, it sounds like you are, as well as Dovetail. No? Uh, no, I'm not actually a coach. <laughs> um, I do some consulting around community building. I uh, still co-own our team building and training business, which a lot of team building is focused on building community within and around companies. Um, and then I steward, I host the yeah. Dovetail community. So I lead all of our retreats. Uh, we have a small team there. Uh, we have a year-round mastermind. And so I support people in that way. So growth for me is growth of our community, but also um, our retention of our community members of who's coming back year over year. Because it's the beautiful thing about community is that it can be a space where, you know, you find that feeling of home and connection for a long period of time. So I'm growing as a person, as a community leader, leader as a steward, and uh, growing in our community in a way that is not necessarily that we want to scale to, you know, thousands of people, but supporting those that are part of it and those that are entering it every year. I love that. Um, let's close with this. I, I, we talked, we talked initially and you said that you believe every person should be a part of a community and every person should have a separate coach. Every tell me your thoughts on that and tell yeah. me why you think they need to be separate. Every entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I think entrepreneurs need coaches and they need community, but I think that coaching 
depending on where you are in your business, you know, when I started my company, I, my first company, I had a coach that was great for startup entrepreneurs. So she helped me, you know, as we scaled up and hired our first couple employees and, and we're in that stage, that's her expertise. She's an amazing coach for that. Um, and as I grew, I, as I grew the business, as I grew my experience and as a person, I needed a coach who I needed, a, you know, I had a coach who was specializing in marketing. And then I had a coach who specialized in team growth in that stage of business. And so the coaching stages uh, and the coaching expertise changed over time. But within that, uh, you know, especially over the past five years, I've had Dovetail, which is a community of entrepreneurs where there are women at different scales and stages of business where they all come together to support each other. So Dovetail Summit is, yes, it is our space where we have women who are at a certain stage of business, but they all come together throughout the year with our wider community and support one another. And so there's really a space for women in Dovetail once they have an actual business and they're off the ground, there's a space within the community where they can come in, you know, in their second, third, fourth year of business and be with us until they're 70. <laughs> and I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to have yeah. a place to call home that, you know, they have peer support where they can grow and scale and be nurtured and, and feel like they're a fit with the values and um, and have that space of continuity and the peers that have been with them for a long time. So that is, yeah. Yeah. I love life. that. You, you mentioned, you'd mentioned on your site, like you go from, uh, there's, there's a range of like 27 to 74, which is <laughs> so awesome. That's so incredible. Yeah. That's such an eclectic group. I'm sure there's so many different, different, uh, yeah, there's so many different things at play when you come, it. when you have an age range in that as well. Um, awesome. Where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Where can people support you? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at alexis.dovetail, which is D-O-V-E-T-A-I-L, which is the name of our community. Uh, that's where I am most often publicly. Or just check us out at dovetail.community. Our website presence only really shows the one area that we're focusing on right now because we are almost 100% referral based, but I'm working on changing that. <laughs> and that's how Grant and I met because I've Love been uh, coaching to change some of our referral focus into expansion. So there'll be more on the website soon. But in the meantime, come hang out on Instagram. I'm there to answer questions. Once a week, I do a Q&A on community building. So come and ask away. Love it. Love it. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you thank so much you. for your time, Alexis. I really appreciate you. 